This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for August 12th, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 35 and 41 through 51. The message is by Father Ron Baird. This morning's epistle reading, Paul continues his uh, treatise on what does it mean to be a Christian? Sort of the theme. How do you know if you're truly a faithful follower of Christ as opposed to just somebody who's assented to the concepts of, of what the Christian faith teaches, which doesn't really make you a follower, just means that you think those are good things. So how do we you know, transform, as Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we become this transformed being, this new creation that he says, if anyone is in Christ, behold, the old has passed away, there is a new creation. How can we be that, and how can we know if we are that? Last week, he talked some about that. He began speaking about it when he talked about all the gifts that were given to people, some prophets, some pastors, some apostles, some evangelists. And, and he goes on to say, but all of them are given for the building up of the body of Christ. And he started it with, with a, an essential fact that we must begin speak the truth in love. And that was what last week's sermon was about. Well, this week he becomes much more practical. What are some of the measurements that help us to know if we are growing up into the full stature of Christ? Because that's what the building of, of the body of Christ, so that all may mature and grow into the full stature of Christ. How do we know if we are getting there? So today he began to give us some examples of what those things look like. First of all, um, he tells us to tell the truth. Stop lying to each other. You know, that's one of the, the hallmarks of Christ. You think about it, Jesus didn't lie to people. They didn't always like what he had to say, but he didn't lie to them, nor did he do it to cut them down. But he told them the truth even when it wasn't what they wanted to hear. And so one of the things that, that, that Paul is telling us is that one way you know whether or not you're really growing up as a Christian is, are you a truth teller? Or are you still caught in those things where you lie to get out of trouble or to save the other person's feelings? I always like that one. I'm lying to you to protect your feelings an interesting concept if you think about it. I'm committing a sin so I don't sin against you. And so either way you've sinned. But those white lies that we tell that don't make any difference, you know, well, everybody tells white lies. Well, maybe so, but if you think about it, if they don't matter, why do we tell them? What difference does it make? One of the hallmarks, someone who is a mature Christian, is that they tell the truth. They're honest with you about things. Now, that doesn't mean that they necessarily tell you every truth that they possibly know, but it does mean that they're always honest with you. And so one measurement that we can have of ourselves and how we are doing in our, our growth and our maturity is are we really truth tellers? You know, we always like to think of ourselves as honest people, but are we really? You know, do we make excuses? Do we cover up things to stay out of trouble? 
Now, Jesus never covered up anything to stay out of trouble. The second thing that he um, tells them is be angry. There you go. It's right in the Bible. It says be angry. So you have permission. He says be angry. I mean, Paul and, and God knows that people are going to be angry. Even God got angry. I mean, being angry is normal in this world because people are annoying. I mean, they make you angry. I mean, it's just a, the things they do are just irritating. And so we get angry. And he says, that's all right, be angry. But do not let your anger cause you to sin. And that's where so many of us mess up, is that all too often we get angry and the first thing we do is we act out of our anger. You know, a great rule for you about whether or not you should act out of your anger is if you're angry still, probably is not a good time to do or say whatever it is you're going to do or say. Wait until you calm down. Because if you're angry, then the emotion is going to dictate your actions as opposed to what it is that you think would really be the best thing to do. So being angry is normal enough, but don't let it cause you to sin. Don't let it cause you to do things that will will um, you'll regret later on. It took me a long time to learn that. I'll tell you, I, I used to have a very, very bad temper. And I had a very, very short use. And it would go off like that. And I would, in no uncertain means, let you know that you were some sort of subspecies of human, if that. I called it a quick wit. I always called it a quick wit. Sounds so much better than just nasty. <laughs> and God is the one who helped me with that. I wish that I could claim that, that you know, oh, I decided I wouldn't be angry anymore, and I didn't. But what I did was I prayed about it for a long time for him to remove that, and gradually I got less angry. Part of it was I think I just got older and tired. Hey, it's true. If you're older, isn't that true? The older you get, the less angry, because it's just not worth it. I mean, you know, I've been around this block before. I'm not going down there. But, but part of it, too, is that, 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 that God helped me to not be so angry. So I really don't get angry very often. I'm rarely angry. And the way, if you want to know if I'm really angry, the best way to know if I'm really angry is if I refuse to talk about it. Because if I'm really mad, I'll say, not now. And you're better off to listen because hopefully I won't let you push me into talking about it because if I do, that other person comes back out, um, the nasty one. Most of the time I don't. Most of the time I, I'm able to just shut up. I can remember once in the first year Judy and I were married, everybody talks about the first years of the honeymoon period. They shouldn't call it a, they should call it an adjustment period. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, adjusting all the things on the, on the bicycle to make sure the wheels are going to turn right or something. I mean, it's, it, it, it's another human being has moved into your life and has disrupted it. That's not a honeymoon. <laughs> That's painful. And we have very different ways of dealing with conflict. Um, Judy, came into the relationship believing that you should always talk out your problems until you're solved. Now, in my family, that meant we're going to keep talking about it until you agree with me. <laughs> and so 
that doesn't work real well with me, and, and I'd already learned not to be angry, but if I, you know, that was a bit testy for me. I can remember one night, it's funny because I don't even remember what we were arguing about. Isn't that weird how you can remember these huge fights you had? I'll tell you all a secret. Nobody knows this. Not very few people know this. Did you know that your priest and his wife got thrown out of Easton? <laughs> really, it's true. No, I didn't have my collar on. <laughs> but we were having this fight right in the middle of Easton. Once again, I don't have any idea what we were fighting about. And the police came up, security guards came up and said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to leave. <laughs> so we were like, oh. The great part about it, though, was that by the time we got to the parking garage that's attached to it, we were laughing so hard that we weren't mad anymore. <laughs> Just forget, I never got thrown out of a place before. <laughs> I remember one night that we were arguing about something or other, and it just went on and on and on. And I thought, i got to go to bed. It was on Saturday night. I said, i got to get up in the morning. And so I went to bed. So Judy wasn't done. <laughs> so she went to bed too and, and kept talking about it. I'm not talking about this. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. If you don't leave me alone, I'm going in the other room. No, you're not. Yes, I am. <laughs> so I got up and went in the other room. You know what she did? She came in the other room. But this is terrible. I said, if you don't leave... I'm going to leave the house. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. So I figured, well, that argument's still going on. So I was so mad by then that it was either hit something or leave. And so I put on my clothes. I go out and I get my car. And with her telling me I can't leave the whole time. So I'm thinking, I'm being very mature by the way. I'm like, just watch me. I'll leave. <laughs> so, so by this time, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. So I pull out of the driveway, and I, I go around. I say, I'm going to drive around the beltway. That's how mad I was. So I drive around. I get to the other side. I drive on the east side. And I get to the other side of, of um, Grove City. <coughs> I think we need to mute her. Um, I get to the other side of Grove City before I finally calm down. And by this time, it's like well, 2.45 or something. And it occurs to me... It's 2.45 in the morning, and I'm a really long way from home. <laughs> and now i got to go all the way back. Man, that was a long ride. So I got back finally, and fortunately, she, when I said I still don't want to talk about it, she said, okay. So I'm sure that I preached an inspiring sermon that morning, too. I have no idea what it was. don't remember it either. But that's how you can tell if I'm really angry, is that when it's a lesson that I learned, which is, do not let, um, do not sin because you're angry. Keep your yap shut. You know, wait till you calm down, then talk about it. You know, one of the worst things that happens in marriages, particularly and in families too, is people try to resolve differences while they're angry. You know, you can't resolve anything when you're both angry. You're both too busy being angry. It's only when you calm down that you can get there. The other thing he says about anger is, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this is an interesting one. I hear a lot in wedding um, sermons that I go to weddings and stuff where they say, you know, this is a strong lesson. You know, God teaches us, never go to bed angry. Now, what I haven't figured out is, one, why does that only apply to marriages? Because that isn't what Paul's talking about. 
But somehow or other, it's okay to go to bed angry at somebody else, but don't go to bed angry with your spouse. <laughs> Everybody else in the world, your boss, you know, that's fine, but not your spouse. Well, and on top of that, he doesn't really say don't go to bed angry, does he? He said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So what does that mean? What's he talking about? Well, he's saying this, don't hold on to your anger. You know, because that's one of the things that, that a lot of us can get caught up into is that we get angry at somebody, they, they did me wrong. And then when we think about it again tomorrow, we're mad all over again. It goes on and on and on and on, and it never goes away. To not let the sun go down on your anger means don't hold grudges. Let it go. Because after all, in, in the Old Testament, it says vengeance belongs to who? God, not us. So yeah, I mean... Like I said, people are annoying. They're going to make you angry, but don't hold on to it. Let it go. You'll never get anywhere. And what's even worse is that it's not so much that don't let the sun go down your anger because that's bad for the other person. It's bad for you because it will eat you up. If you ever met, you know, particularly it's interesting, somebody who's really elderly, you know, maybe in their 90s or something, who is just a bitter person, bitter old man or a bitter old woman, they never have anything nice to say. You know, and you can sort of see what, you know, 60, 70, 80 years of, of anger can do to a human being if they hold on to all of it. It can really eat you alive. And so one of the, the characteristics of growing up into Christ is to not hold on to those grudges, to let it go. You know, move on. It doesn't mean you have to like what happened, but don't dwell on it. Move on. So two characteristics we've already gotten. One is stop lying, tell the truth. The other is even when you're angry, don't let it make you sin. Don't hold on to it. The third one's an interesting one. He says, those of you who are, have stolen, stop stealing. Makes you wonder, did they have a, a, like a congregation full of thieves or something in Ephesus? I mean, what was going on there? <laughs> Must have been an interesting place. I mean, were there that many thieves in the congregation in Ephesus? They thought, I better put this one in. No. He wasn't talking about just professionals <laughs> or people who, who you know, regularly do it. By the word, the interesting thing is the word in the Greek is klepto. You know, klepto. Kleptomaniac, um, it's klepto, but it really means don't gain from things dishonestly. And you can do that in a lot of ways without breaking into a house or a store or something. You know, cheating on your taxes, taking unfair advantage of information, all kinds of things. And so he isn't just talking to the people who steal for a living. He's talking to all of us. And, and you can tell that by the second half of it because he goes on to say why they should stop stealing, which is, which is really probably more to the point um, because I imagine that most of them, like us, we think, oh, well, I'm not a thief anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, but w what happens, though, is he goes on to say, go out and earn a living. Work hard. Not because it's a bad thing to steal. Not because it makes you an immoral person. Not because... Hard work is a good virtue. Is do it so that you can help others. You ever think about that? That 
the hard work that you do should be to benefit society, to benefit humankind, to build up God's creation. You know, all too often we don't think of it that way. We tend to think all the hard work I do is so that I can enjoy the fruits of my labor. But no. And if you think about it, it doesn't make much sense. Because you can collect all kinds of stuff, and then when you die, what happens to it? You know, somebody else, you don't get to take it with you. What's even worse is as I'm getting older, I'm starting to, you know, think in 10, 12, 15 years, I might retire, might want to move into a condo, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with all that stuff in the basement? Because it's not really about who collects the most stuff wins. Take it to the church room. Oh, is that what you do to it? All right. Yeah, but I still got to get it out of the basement. It's a problem. Right? <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's not about accumulating for the sake of accumulating. So it, whatever we have, God has given us the ability to get it so that we can build up this creation that he's given us, so that we can give back and make things better. What he's really telling us is don't be a consumer of people, be a provider. You know, because there are people who are in need, legitimately in need, and we should help them. Not so that they can always be legitimately in need, by the way, but so that they can get, you know, up on their feet and work hard and become providers like we are right now. And then if we get into a situation where we can't be providers, we're the ones in need, it can be reversed. It's all for the building up of God's creation. And so he tells us to, you know, don't hold on to what you've got either. Use it. It's a tool. It's stuff. And it's meant to be used for the good of God's creation. That's another hallmark of what it looks like to be a mature Christian. And then the last one is an interesting one because of the way it's translated. It says, let no evil speech come out of your mouth. What do you think that means? What's that, what does that say to you when you say, hear those words anyway? Hmm? Be kind. I, I was raised in the South. It meant don't have a potty mouth. Which was interesting because I knew a lot of people who were less than kind, but they didn't cuss. <laughs> Never said a cuss word, but... They found better ways to cut you down. They didn't need to to say bad words. It doesn't mean bad words, by the way. A better translation would be, um, do not let slander come out of your mouth. Don't run other people down. Rather, let your speech build people up. You know, and it's a big problem in our society. You know, because we run people down all the time. If we don't like what somebody's doing, what do we say? Well, that'd be nice. but <laughs> At the very least, we, we say they don't know what they're doing. You know, or we call them names. And, and we made a profession out of it. It's called politics. Hmm? Or comedy, yeah. Yeah, sarcasm. And, and it's really sad because it doesn't really matter what party you're in. Everybody does it. You know, as a matter of fact, can you imagine explaining this one to God? You spend how many millions of dollars running other people down? You know, what was it I told you to do with your wealth again? What was that about? I mean, gee, many. 
what part of that didn't you get? And yet they'll all tell you how religious they are. But somehow or other, it doesn't translate. Now, I wish that we could just say it's those people out there. But that's not true, is it? Because we do it too. We don't like our boss. We say he's what? Incompetent? Well, that's nice too. Usually we say he's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, one of the worst things that you can say to somebody, though, is you're absolutely worthless. Can you imagine what that's like? If, you, if I'm absolutely, you know, you can't do anything right. Anybody ever told you that? I've been told that. Do you ever think about what are you supposed to do about I can't do anything right? Hmm? Well, if I can't do anything right, what should I do? I should do nothing, right? I mean, if I can't do anything right, then I should do nothing because if I do something, it's going to be wrong. So I should just sit here and let you take care of me. It's sort of like the two words in the English language that should never have been put together. Um, you should have. You ever heard that? What, what can you do about you should have? I mean, you feel bad about it, I guess. What are you supposed to do with it? I should have. Yeah, but you didn't. And yet, we say that one all the time, too. You know, and it's become such a, a, a common way of life that we almost don't see it anymore. Our kids see it on television. Have you ever watched children's programming? Some of y'all too old to watch children's programming anymore? They don't do things like Bugs Bunny so much anymore unless you see reruns because those are violent. Instead, they have kids who talk about how stupid their parents are. and <laughs> you can't. It's hard to find a smart parent in a cartoon anymore. I mean, they're all dumb. It's amazing. The kids are always much smarter than the parents. And, and the sarcasm and the put-downs that go on is it any wonder that by the time they get to middle school, they're enculturated in it? You know, we teach them how to do it as though somehow or other it's a way of survival. And yet the truth is, is that it's not a way of survival. It's a way of destruction. I mean, it's just like in our politics. When all we see on television are ads telling us how wretched somebody is, and then we see the other party telling us how wretched that guy is, then all that we get is they're all wretched. And it undermines our whole system of government because our whole government is predicated on being governed by someone that the people select. And if the people can only select wretched people, where does that leave us? We should, I mean, if we, if we really believe these ads, you know, I think somebody should put up an ad that says, Enough of these bad people running for office. We need a king. At least that way, if they're wretched, we get to keep them. But instead, we do this every two years. I mean, pretty much every year, because there's some election going on every year. You know, constantly. And then we wonder why things don't get solved. It's because that kind of undermining behavior, be it in the family, be it with your spouse, be it with work, be it at church, be it with friends, be it in our politics, be it wherever, undermines the whole. 
It doesn't build it up. It tears it down. And it makes it sad. Because nobody can believe in anything anymore. So Paul tells us if you want to grow into the full stature of Christ, if you want to grow into maturity, then watch what you say. You know, curb your wicked tongue. So if if you're a Republican in this year, you need to be careful about what you say about our president. He's a person. He's baptized. He's one of the body of Christ. And if you're a Democrat, you need to be careful what you say about Mitt Romney. Because otherwise, we tear ourselves down and we tear the body down and we destroy ourselves. It would be like if all that you ever did was run around and ridicule your right hand about how horrible it was as though you didn't have any use for it at all. And so you didn't... <laughs> Mike says, well, maybe now. He's... <laughs> He had surgery. But it, it wouldn't help any. You know, you don't help children, for instance, to learn by telling them what they're doing wrong. Now, you have to let them know what they're doing wrong, otherwise they can't do it right. But if that's where you stop, they don't ever learn how to do it. You're doing it wrong. Here is how you do it right. Let me help you. It ought to be criticism is not a bad thing. Condemnation is a horrible thing. And we need to be built up, not torn down. And that goes for all of us. And so as you go through your week, I want you to measure yourself. How mature are you? How much have you grown up into Jesus? You know, do you tell the truth? Are you really honest to a fault? Do you um, get angry, but do you not let it cause you to sin and say and do things out of your anger? Do you hold grudges or not? Do you gain things by means that aren't always quite right? Or if you have, even if you gain them by ways that were fine, why do you have them? Are you using them to build up you know, the world that God created? or using it to accumulate for yourself. And then finally, what is your speech like? How do you treat people? What do you think of people? Because the truth is, is you can't be tender-hearted and think someone's an idiot at the same time. It just doesn't go together. You know, if we are going to love people, we have to love them the way they are, not the way we want them to be. Now, I realize that the way we want them to be is better than the way that they are. But that doesn't matter. God loves us the way we are. Imagine what it would be like if God didn't love us or forgive us until we were the way we were supposed to be. We'd all be in trouble. That's why he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, translate really, don't, don't make the Holy Spirit sad. Don't make God sorry that he died on a cross and gave you his very life. Don't make it a waste of time. You know, use it. Embrace it. Live into it. Because ultimately, that's really the Christian journey. It's not about saying the right thing and doing the right thing all the time. It's about surrendering ourselves to Jesus. 
so that he can live through us to help us to do those things. And the truth is, is that if we are to grow into the full stature of Christ, that's exactly what it's going to take. It's going to take for us to totally lose ourselves in Christ and allow his personality, his will to overwhelm us and live through us. And the most remarkable thing about God is that if you can do that, you become more you, the individual, than you ever could have been otherwise. Because he created you. He loves you. He redeemed you. If you look at the marks of Christ, how he lived out his life, all of those things are in there. Well, how are you doing? How am I doing? That's really the work that we have to do. Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.